You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Andy had started this series um, three weeks ago called Strange Ways, and I thought I would continue it with, um, I could call, call this Strange Ways, The God Who Intervenes. And I'm going to be talking about the encounter Moses had at the burning bush, which has got to be one of the strangest episodes in the Bible. Um, so let's read aloud Exodus 3, verse 4. Do you, do you see it on the screen there? So, yeah, now let me, I'm sorry, I didn't explain this. When you read things aloud, words come out of your mouth. There's an audible aspect to the uh, adventure opportunity, collaborative. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. There's so many different avenues of interest that I have in that one verse. Um, I've, I've read I've read this for years. I'm really very much interested in um, the supernatural aspects that we find in the Bible. So many of them are so inexplicable. You don't really understand why or some people even if they happened. Now, I believe they happened. I'm all in when it comes to that. The two verses before the one we read reads this way. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. And then here's a very important part of what we will look at today. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside... Let's say that together. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside, that's when God spoke to him. Now, I don't know what we can assume by that. Maybe we can assume that if he had not turned aside, the Lord would not have spoken to him. And that's, that's a thought very much worth considering because God's a relational God. He does things in sometimes in response to our prayers, but he does things um, and looks to us for a response because it's a relationship. It's not about how much he loves us, but there is a relationship aspect between us and the Lord that can increase what goes on in our lives spiritually or decrease what goes on in our lives spiritually. Is everybody on board with that? That really, really is true. So this morning, we're going to look at some of the strange ways of God. We're going to explore God's intervention for Israel and Egypt. Um, beginning with his appearing to Moses here in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And I've mentioned this before. I love the strange stories in the Old Testament. How many of you love the strange stories in the Old Testament? I'm, I'm intrigued 60 years later. I'm still, um, I read them again and I go, I don't get it, but this is pretty cool. But um, they captured my heart. 
from the time I was a kid in Sunday school. And they challenged my faith when I read them over the years. One of the things I heard about um, people and magicians, that magicians only hold people's interest as long as people don't know how they did the trick. But once they know how they did the trick, they lose interest. Well, God is not a magician. He's way, way, way more. And I still don't know how he does what he does. But I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm wondering why. I'm asking what are the implications. So let me give you some of the backstory about Moses and this encounter with the Lord. Joseph had rescued his family and brought them to Egypt to live where they prospered for 30 years. How many of you know how long Israel, or the Hebrews rather, were in bondage? 400 years this went on. 400 years. But they were there 430 years. But if Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph... He became afraid of their great number and strength of the children of Israel over the centuries. And so he made them slaves, and he made their lives bitter. He actually ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill every male child that was born. And they didn't do it because they said the Hebrew women are so strong. Those babies are born before we get there. So they told a lie. What do you know about that? That causes all kind of philosophical issues that we will not go into. So, every male Hebrew was condemned to be drowned in the Nile River because the first plan failed. Pharaoh went with plan B. Three months after Moses was born, his mother put him in a basket and laid it in the reeds by the river. His sister stood nearby to see what was going to happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river to bathe, heard the child cry, had mercy on him. So Moses' sister offered to find a nurse for the child. Pharaoh's daughter agreed. She enlisted Moses' mother as his nurse. Pharaoh's daughter raised the child as her own son and named him Moses, which means drawn out because I drew him out of the water. So when Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrew brethren. Moses killed the man and hid him in the sand. Pharaoh heard what he did and sought to kill Moses, who fled and lived for another 40 years as a shepherd married to the daughter of the priest of Midian. So this is where we start today. Um, 40 years after Moses has left Egypt. He's 80 years old. How many of you know life begins at 80? (laughs) he's 80 years old and tending the flocks of his father-in-law when he goes to the backside of the desert, which was actually a very fruitful place. But just beyond it was Horeb, the mountain of God, which is a very desolate place. And so when he's there, he sees a very strange sight. It's a burning sticker bush. Could have been a blackberry bush. It was a flame with what the Bible calls the angel of the Lord, which is another term for a manifestation of God himself. And so you have this fragile sticker bush or blackberry bush or thorn bush that is a flame, 
but it doesn't consume what it's burning, which is a very, very significant and interesting picture. And we're going to look at that further here in a minute. And so when we jump into Exodus chapter 3, I've already read the first four verses, but to repeat again, verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Yes, you can look this up in Exodus 3. I don't know if you read along, but maybe you have your Bibles. I don't know. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him, and Moses responded, here I am. Now, Moses got into a lot of trouble here that marked him for the rest of his life, which was another 40 years. I heard one preacher, Bob Mumford, say, hey, if you ever see a burning bush, don't stop. Don't stop. Anyway, Moses stopped. Then the Lord said to him, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So amazingly, the first thing the Lord says, or first thing the Lord says to Moses is take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, this is so good, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the ites, Canaan, Hit, Amur, Perez, Hive, Jebus, ites, ite land. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And the, the Lord re reinforces like three different times how sorrowful he is over the pain and suffering of his people. He's, he repeats that over and over in his conversation with Moses. Then the Lord says to Moses, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, that is a very um, unsettling confirmation. That is a very unsettling confirmation. Let me read that again. I know this is a lot, but that's just what I do. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That was God's sign to Moses. We want a confirmation before we obey. Come on. 
Come on. A lot of those confirmations actually erase your faith. That's really good. What I just said is really pretty good. So the Lord says to Moses, here is the sign. After you have done what I have said, I will meet with you on this mountain. That makes me uncomfortable. And since I'm uncomfortable, I want you to be uncomfortable. No, really, I want us to understand the strange ways of God. It's really important. That's why we have these books. That's why we have this book. That's why we have these stories embedded in these amazing tales of the character, the personality, and the wisdom of God that you can't just get anywhere, anytime, particularly if you don't read it. I heard this the other day. A pastor went to, um, went to eat with these folks, and when he left, a silver spoon was missing. And so the wife said to the husband the next day, I think the pastor, I think the pastor stole that spoon. I think the pastor stole the spoon. Well, they didn't have him back to supper finally a year later. Finally, she said, I have to ask you this. I hate to ask you this, but I have to ask you this. Did you take a spoon when you were here before? He said, no, I stuck it in your Bible. I heard another joke, but I'll make this personal. Don and I were sitting at the table having dinner, and she said to me, uh, Robin, you have two major faults. I was, she said, I don't listen in something else. <laughs> Those are. Okay, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. Then he says, go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt, and I will bring you out of the land of affliction. So I know that's a whole lot of verses, but isn't that a remarkable, remarkable story? And there are at least four specific things we can get from these. I'm going to try to get to all of them. The first one is God knows how you feel. God knows how you feel. God knows. Now, there are different kinds of knowing. The kind of knowing God knows is not information. It's experiential. We're going to look at that. Um, number two, God has a plan to help you. God has a plan to help you. Number three, experiencing God changes your life. 
experiencing God changes your life. And number four is faith is essential to succeed or to make, make progress. So looking at the first one, that God knows how you feel and is concerned, in verse 7, the Lord said, I've seen, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I've seen their oppression. I heard their cry. I know their sorrows. And the ideas there about seeing and hearing their cries add to that knowing their sorrows um, brings me to the cross. It brings me to the cross. It brings me to think about people who, people in this room who have suffered things that real may mark you for your life, may mark you for a lifetime. Doesn't mean you don't adjust, recover, et cetera, et cetera, but they can, they'll mark you for a lifetime. And it's really difficult to know what to say when people go through things like that. Often we just simply do not have an explanation for them. And one of the reasons is Jesus doesn't always explain. How many of you are aware of that? We can ask him why. Sometimes he will, but sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't always explain the reasons behind what happens. But one thing he does do and did do is he intervened in the world. He came to so fully identify with us that he suffered. And I think when we... I don't think we understand his level of suffering. Jesus' kind of suffering was not just a physical suffering. It was some kind of a cosmic episode that's hard to fully understand. It's something that went much deeper than physical and emotional pain. That's my view of it. But he knows. He doesn't always explain, but... He participated in suffering at the highest level. And that's important to remember because, you know, when I read the book of Hebrews, there are all these heroes of faith. How many of you know? They stopped the mouths of lions. They conquered armies. They raised their children from the dead. They did all of this and all of that. And we read all of that and we don't understand that is not the only and maybe not even the most significant aspect of faith. Actually, in reading the Passion Translation, it says, let me find this because I'm jumping around a little bit. When it talks about those who suffered and did not get delivered. Listen to me. Hebrews 11.39 says, These were the true heroes. Listen. Commended for their faith. Yet they lived in hope without 
come on, without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. And so when I read Hebrews 11, and I'm a faith guy, I want to conquer everything, knock everything down, jump over stuff, look like I've got the world by the tail, I don't know. But the most profound faith is to go through things that you don't understand and you maintain your faith. Hebrews calls those people heroes. They don't get the press, but that's what it says. That's what it says. So now I don't know where I am. I have to start at the beginning. God says, I know their sorrows, and he does. Let's look at number two. God has a plan to help you. In verse 8, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God had a plan to deliver 3 million people on one single day. Amazing. Here's what we can gather from that. God wants to improve our lives. He wants to provide better things for us. And what we see here is the, the interesting language I've come down to deliver them and to bring them up. So he came down to bring us up. And you can see that again in the cross and in the incarnation of Jesus. He went from that realm to this realm, became a person, lived life, suffered, did what he needed to do to bring us up. That's the most remarkable intervention, and we find them all over the Scripture. Jesus came down to our level in every way imaginable. Now, here's what we need to recognize from these verses. This isn't just about Moses. This is about you. God wants you. God wants you to help other people experience freedom from sin. God wants you to help other people be free from fear. Actually, there is sometimes a connection between your liberty and your desire to help someone else find liberty. There's a connection between you helping someone overcome the very problem you yourself may have and something is released in that relationship that makes your life progress. Can you hear that? It's so important that we try to help each other. So I'm not going to belabor that point, but we've been called to help people. Now, experiencing God changes your life. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Got Shelly in the back. Shelly is our designated amener. <laughs> she says, I love it. It must be so. I don't know. Meanwhile, Doug sits by quietly, minding his own business. <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> oh, anybody else want to have a little chat while I'm? <laughs> Jake, what you been doing, son? No. Uh, experiencing God changes your life. The burning bush experience of Moses was one of God's strange ways. 
But let me ask this question. Was Moses changed forever? Yes, he really was. If you know the rest of the story. Moses had an incredible experience. Now, my point's not that we might have an experience this extreme. I don't think, I don't think we're going to have literal burning bush experiences like Moses had. You could, I don't know. I know, I know some things because I've seen some things. You've seen that insurance commercial. But it's essential for our relationship with God to extend beyond the intellectual, inter- informational realm. We need to know him. And there's a difference in between knowing about him and knowing him. And the funny thing is the more we know about him, we can still be pretty shocked when we come into an encounter with him and begin to know him like he really is. You, you, I mean, even Job. They're like two chapters of God chewing Job out. Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Do you understand this? Do you understand that? Do you understand the other thing? And so much Christianity bumps around between our ears, but it doesn't really penetrate us in the way it is transformational and it needs to. But experiencing him is part of the process that strengthens our faith. And then there's this whole idea of the burning bush. What a crazy thing that was. What? God in a bush? You're talking to a bush? What? God appeared in a raging fire in a sticker bush that never burned up. Now, here's the tricky part. Moses came 400 years after Joseph. But Moses prophesies over Joseph's remnant in Deuteronomy or his relatives in Deuteronomy 33, 16. And one of the, he says, these blessings of the Lord on Joseph, dew, the deep, precious fruit of the sun, produce, the months, best things of the ancient mountains, this flowery thing, precious things of the everlasting hills. And then he says, and with the precious things of the earth in its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. What? The favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph. That is pretty strange, ladies and gentlemen. But that bush made a big impression on Moses. For the goodwill of him who dwelt in the bush is another way to say it. But the word dwelt is troublesome because it means to reside or permanently stay. Well, God lived in that bush. I don't know. How long was he in that bush? I don't know. He could have been waiting a long time. It doesn't say. But I know what Deuteronomy 33, 16 says. There's this idea of that picture, God fiery in a very flammable um, vegetation. And it's never consumed. And it throbs and it burns. And there's an indication that in some way, maybe some, I don't know if the word's esoteric or some, um, odd kind of way, God 
dwelt there. And to me, that's worth thinking about because that's very puzzling to me. That intrigues me. That gets my attention. Why was he in that blackberry bush? Well, here's what I think. I believe it represents the humility of God. He could be anywhere doing anything, any way, but he humbled himself to reside or to stay or to meet with Moses in, of all places, a thorn bush. How many of you have thorn bushes intentionally planted in your yards or gardens? Of course not. Of course you don't. It would be ridiculous. That's where God... You know, there are thorn bush type people in this world, you know. You don't appreciate them. God does. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying any of them are here today, but I'm just saying that God, the way he is, he loves these things that some would walk right by and disregard. They wouldn't even pay attention to them. They wouldn't give them any credit or benefit or time. They'd walk right by them. So it's a picture of who and what God chooses. It's a picture of permanence too. What do you mean? Well, the bush was frail. The bush was nondescript. The bush was weak. It was disregarded. It should have been easily consumed, yet it continued to live even in the fire because whatever God inhabits cannot be destroyed in a sense. The most fragile of people who are in touch with God in a living way cannot be defeated. And if God chose to burn in that bush, why would he not choose to dwell in you? Why would he not choose to dwell in you in a powerful way? The burning bush. God didn't want to destroy Israel but he wanted to be their savior. He wanted to be the very fire and life within them, but a kind of fire that doesn't operate on human levels, but a kind of fire that burns forever because it's God who is doing the burning. So that bush represented Israel in another way because they were burning in the fire of affliction. It's another way God identified as fire. Because the Hebrews were in that iron furnace of Egypt, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4. How many of you know about the furnace of affliction? How many of you have been hurt, wounded, confused, felt like you weren't going to make it or consumed? Well, God, God understands that. God identifies with that. And the strange thing is, there are things that can happen in those moments that we hate or despise or run from that can actually constitute some of the most vital elements of our real faith. They can happen right in the middle of the horror, right in the middle of the pain. It doesn't have to be unnecessary. One other, I made this statement before, when the Lord, Lord. (laughs) 
I combined Lord and turned. Thank you, Lord. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, I love this. What would have happened if Moses would have walked right on by? How many of us have said the Lord didn't bless us, but when in actual fact we didn't have eyes to see and we walked right on by? But we still blame the Lord because he's mean and he doesn't love us, so we walk. He didn't help us. Jeremiah, I think is either chapter 17 or 19, addresses that. We'll not see when good comes. Don't blame the Lord. Get mad at him, yell at him, cuss at him. Get that out of your system. But at the end of the day... He's God. He's got some strange ways. And he usually does not check on us when he's doing some stuff. He could, but he doesn't have to. Moses had not turned aside to see, may we assume God would not have spoken to him. One of the things Moses had, and Albert Einstein identified it, it's curiosity. Albert Einstein said, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. And that's a very vital key to being spiritual is curious. You keep asking the questions. You keep asking the questions. But the text says the Lord called to Moses after Moses responded to what he saw. When he turned aside to see, God spoke to him. And I've talked, um, I've got extra notes here on the burning bush. But here's one of the things we need, we need to see. I don't know how many of you remember the story of Jacob at, at, at Bethel. And he falls asleep. His head's on a rock. He's running from his brother. What does he see? What does, what does Jacob see at Bethel? How many of you remember? A ladder. Called it Jacob's Ladder. And on top of it is the Lord or angels are going up and down. And God speaks to him reassuring words. And when Jacob wakes up, Jacob says this. And this is similar to what Moses could have done. Jacob says, God is in this place and I knew it not. Let's say that. God is in this place and I knew it not. Well, I've heard people say, well, God's somewhere. You'd know it. Well, apparently not. Apparently, you could walk right by him. Apparently, you could miss him easy. Oh, if God's in that place. You know, but, 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 but. Well, apparently not. I've got Moses and Jacob on the apparently not squad here saying, <laughs> but Jacob said, God was here and I didn't know it. Well, if you re- I've just got all this stuff. If you read that story, do you know where Jacob was? The Bible says he was at a place where the sun set. Maybe that's where God is, wherever the sun sets. Maybe it's more about you having eyes to see. Maybe it's more about you slowing down and taking the time. But God is everywhere. Now, I know he can manifest himself in particular places by the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit different from what I'm saying. Nevertheless, let's say the Holy Spirit comes. What if there are two revivals, one going on in... Atlanta and one going on in Chicago, and the Holy Spirit's going to be at both of them doing extra special things, right? So we don't understand. We really don't. God's everywhere, but then he doesn't seem like it. 
And so we have to sort of figure this out. But we don't realize it. Now, I've read some of the things Anne Lamott has said. She's a pretty radical, interesting woman. But she said this, the first thing God told Moses to do was what? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God wanted Moses to see how holy life was. What would happen if one day we realized that being alive means we overcame overwhelming odds? I know John Mark has mentioned this in some things, and I don't know how far to take this when it comes to what actually goes on in conception between the male and female, but it is very difficult to become a person. It is literally one in 100 plus million applicants applying for that job. Do I need to be any more? I, I'm just, I'm old school. There's only some things I just simply can't say. But during one process of consumption, consumption, only one of over a hundred plus million Swimmers win the prize. You are one in a hundred million. Think of all the ones that didn't make it. You did. You did. Why would we not? And this is, this is something we need to recognize. We're supernatural. We live in a, a place that should affect our appreciation. We're, we're such mumbling, bumbling, complaining race of people, aren't we? Because we don't see clearly. But supernatural experience is important because it breaks us out of living as bored, apathetic people. It transforms our lives. It fuels our hunger for God, and he promises to satisfy every truly hungry and thirsty soul. And I'm going to tell you something, too. It complicates our lives beyond belief. Some of the most amazing things the Lord has told me to do turned out to be some of the most painful things I've ever been involved in in my life. But I have never really been that bored. But I can understand, hey, if you see a burning bush, keep moving. Number four, faith is essential. I've already mentioned this about the confirmation God was going to give Moses was that I will meet with you on this mountain when you've done what I've told you to do. That's the sign. Now, here's another one, and I'm going to try to finish with this one. God told Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers appeared to me saying, I've surely visited you and seen what is done to you. Now, think about this. Can you imagine explaining the talking burning bush episode to the Hebrew elders? Let's imagine we're Moses explaining to the reserved, austere, intelligent, rational, perhaps even humorless elders of Israel just how God had appeared to him. Can you imagine explaining to them that you were talking to a bush Anybody here have talked to a bush? How about if that was your reason for believing God was going to help you? But I'm going to tell you this, like this or not, feeling or looking foolish is part of the Christian life. It is. 
When you met the Lord and you started telling some of the people around you, they thought you were crazy. You felt foolish, so you quit telling people. No, you got to keep going. Well, I think I'm going to end right there. I think I'll just end right there. I could, I could keep going, but... Um, I, I do want to say this. This is funny. Anne Lamott said, before she met the Lord, she described her life this way. By the end, I was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. <laughs> she was deteriorating faster than she could lower standards. And she said a good name for God is, quote, not me, unquote. Hey, uh, we're going to do some ministry real quick. Would you guys stand up just for a second as the um, band starts to play? Um, I feel like I had something. Um, if you would just think about this, just receive this. Um, but um, it's not as powerful without the music, so I'm going to wait. And that's not passive-aggressive way of telling them to start playing. I'm literally just going to chill. You guys doing okay? You look great. I think that was a really great word, personally. I love the story of... <laughs> Moses. I have a Moses. My middle son's name is Moses. The... Um, a, a great story, and I don't call it a story because I'm saying it's not true. I'm just saying... There's story elements in anything that you uh, communicate. But any great story has reoccurring themes. And the Moses story is so powerful because this theme continues to hit you over and over and over. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I get emotional when I feel the Lord, I think, so. But in Moses' life, Moses' name means drawn out. And you see this over and over and over and over. He's drawn out from his mother, meaning he's, he's taken from his mother. He's, he's put in a basket, which a basket's made from a bush, right? And he's drawn out of the, of the bush, of the basket, by Pharaoh's daughter. Then he's drawn out of Egypt because he tries to kill he does kill the, the man who is abusing the, uh, one of his brethren. And then he's, he's in the desert, right? And you see that Moses was born from a bush, born from a basket, right? And you could, you could say... <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. I promise. I'm, I'm promise I'm tough. I'll, I'll still break your arm if I have to. But I'm trying to be sensitive to the spirit. You, it would be, you could say that when Moses at 80 years old, who had been a very powerful and wealthy person, 
wandering the desert as a shepherd, um, you could say he lost himself. Right? The David story is the flip. David's the shepherd who becomes the prince, right? Moses was the prince who became the shepherd. And so Moses is in the desert and he comes across this burning bush, which is a very common item. But Moses was born from a bush and then Moses found God in a bush and Moses found himself again. When he found God in the bush, he found himself again. Because the voice in the bush had a job for Moses to do. And people say that we're human beings, not human doings, but that's not actually true. Because you're here and you're breathing because God has something for you to do. When we don't know our purpose, it's very hard to know ourselves. And a bush is a very common thing. But this voice is a voice speaking to you from your common things. My friend Randall Worley says that God is constantly appearing to you in the form of your own life. And God is speaking to you through your own life, even right now, if you're willing to listen. And we struggle with identity issues. It's okay. That's kind of part of the deal, right? You're born this like little wiggly thing, right? It's like a beautiful sluggy thing, right? Full of potential. And that is your job in life is to figure out exactly what your identity is and who you're supposed to be. But God is speaking to you through your own life if you are willing to listen. And if you will listen to God, he's probably telling you that you probably have something to do. And there's really no pressure here. And there's really no rush. But if you would, close your eyes and I want to listen to God for a minute. Can we corporately listen to God for a minute together? There's no pressure and there's no rush. But if you listen, and maybe you have to listen for a long time. But I really do believe God is speaking to you in the silence right now about something he's called you to do. And... I don't even think this is like some huge responsibility necessarily is I think he wants to tell you who you are and remind you that maybe when you lose yourself, you can stop and you can listen. And God in the form of your own life is always there telling you what it is that you have to do. What you get to do, who you get to be in the doing, in the acting out of who it is that you are. And you know, it's really great to come to church and receive, right? 
But what's also really great is to come to church and to express, to have that thing that God has created you to be, to begin to to leak out of you, to sort of smoke like incense. And like in that song that they say over and over and over again, like, you know, maybe too many times. Lord Jesus, what is it that you're calling us to do? Who is it that you're not asking us to be, but who is it that you've created us to be? And have we been too busy? Have we missed for a minute? Uh, have we missed out for just a, just a moment on that thing that it is that you're forming us into? And have we missed out on some joy? Is there, a, is there an element of joy that we've missed because we've been too busy? We've been too busy to realize it. We've been too busy to realize where that joy is. Or maybe it's that the joy is a little bit hard because joy takes a little bit of time to craft. And it's easy to find substitutes for joy. We can get the dopamine kick, maybe an easier way. But what is it that you're saying to us individually? What is it that you are drawing out of us even right now? And who is it that you are drawing us and calling us to? Who is it that you are calling us to draw out? Who are the people that God has called us to speak into and to call and draw out into a more liberated place, into a broader place, into a place where they can also experience you and learn how to hear your voice? We love you so much. We love you so much, and we're here for the journey. We're here for it. Can I get the ministry teams, the, the prayer teams to come forward? <clears throat> um, I would like to give us a couple of practical things for the week. Um, Robin... Robin's message was called The God Who Intervenes. And he showed us two moments where somebody was about to encounter God and had the potential to, to miss God. I thought that was really fascinating. And I was thinking about that when, you know, Thomas was talking about that we're in the season of Lent. We're, we're not a traditionally liturgical church, but... By the church calendar, we're in that place of giving something up. And I, I sensed during the message that the Lord is giving us an opportunity to give something up so that 
He can add to us. I, I think a lot of times I believe that God is not intervening in my life, not because he's not moving, but because I don't have eyes to see it because I'm involved with something else. And I, I would just say like a very practical thing for your soul in the season of Lent would maybe to subtract some of this. And last two weeks, what have we been praying? Welcome Holy Spirit. I've heard some testimonies from you uh, over the last couple of weeks, just getting up out of bed and maybe not picking this up first thing, but just hanging your feet off the side of the edge of your bed and just begin to welcome the Holy Spirit. It's not going to cure the problems of your life necessarily, but it, it will cause you to maybe not miss the Lord when he shows up as a fiery thorn bush. Or when you've got your head on a rock for a pillow and Jacob said, I, the Lord is here and I knew it not. How many times is the Lord trying to appear to me, but I've got my, my soul tucked so far into this thing that the only thing that I have left to do is to complain that God's not intervening. So let's close out the service right now. Let's just pray one more time. And then I would like to invite those of you who would like more prayer. If you would like these folks to pray over you, give you an encouraging word. Maybe you have sin in your life that you want to confess and get rid of. Maybe you need to come to the altar and do business with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you want what John Mark was talking about. Maybe you need to have your eyes open to the possibility of joy in your life again. This is a great moment for that. So let's close our eyes one last time. I'm not going to pray long. I'm going to pray short prayer, then we'll dismiss. And then if you've got prayer needs, just come forward. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our week. Let this day be the beginning of our week. And we welcome you into it. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our homes. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our place of work, our place of business. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our schools. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our city. Lord, we ask that you would take our lives and under the lordship of Christ, under the guidance of your Holy Spirit, Lord, break us open and let us be food to those that we encounter in this city. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, please come up this morning. As I like to say, take somebody out to lunch, give somebody 20 bucks. If you need 20 bucks, ask somebody for it. <laughs> give somebody a high five, a hug. Don't let anybody leave here a stranger. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.